Assalamu alaikum everyone and welcome to In Violence, a podcast where we explore how faith and health, both physical and mental, intertwine in our daily lives and how we can finally find balance as Muslims. Welcome to the fifth episode of the podcast. I pray you're all doing well, inshallah. And I have to start once again by thanking you all so so much for all your support honestly it's been such an honor and it's been so heartwarming to read you your your feedback and and your dms and and to see your stories of you listening to imbalance in your daily life it's it's been such an amazing experience and i i feel very blessed alhamdulillah i am so glad that you've been finding the conversations so relatable and helpful and insightful so may Allah bless you endlessly and thank you so much once again for supporting this little project of mine which um, I'm saying is little because we're already mid-season and I know some of you are going to think that this season is pretty short but I didn't want to commit to a lot of episodes if if no one was going to listen to it basically <laughs> So do let me know if you would like a season two. But yes, we're already mid-season. And the other thing that I wanted to let you guys know was that this one, today's one, is going to be the last one of 2023. Because your girl needs to take some rest. (laughs) More seriously, as much as I enjoy working on the podcast, I think I really underestimated the amount of work that was involved in it from you know working like working on the interviews to doing the recordings to the editing part it's a lot of hours and the last few weeks have been very intense ramadan is coming up which is the busiest time of the year for me and i'm not complaining at all alhamdulillah it's it's all been very fulfilling but i really need to slow down so i can offer you inshallah the best content possible so um i hope you will understand and that you won't be mad at me (laughs) that it won't be an episode next week but inshallah we'll be back in 2024 now that i've shared with you these little announcements let's get into the episode and today i am having a conversation with alisar who is the founder of ruk the first hijab bodysuit brand and you guys if you don't laugh listening to this episode then there's a problem (laughs) Because you are going to hear me laugh a lot. Alisar is just as witty and funny as you would expect her to be and as she is on social media. And if you don't know her already, you are surely going to love her as much as I do. So in today's episode, we are discussing her journey as a revert. And what I thought was very interesting here is that Alisar comes from an Arab background. Which means she not only had to go through everything a convert usually goes through when they decide to embrace Islam, she also had to face the judgment of Arab Muslims and the Ummah. And I just was so curious to know how she navigated everything, to know how she came back to Islam. And 
what would be her pieces of advice to people who are thinking about it, but also to people who are exposed to converts and reverts and how to make them feel safe and welcomed in the Ummah? So I hope you'll enjoy this really funny, real and sincere conversation with Alisar. And yeah, let's get into it. Assalamu alaikum, everyone. I hope you're doing well, inshallah. Today, we're back for a new episode with someone very special. <laughs> We've been following each other again for a very long time because I wanted to have on the podcast people that I trust, people that I love and people that inspire me. And the lady that I have today fits all those cases. So let's say welcome and salam to Alisar. Salam alaikum, Alisar. How are you doing? Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. You have embarrassed me. No, of <laughs> course. I'm mean, doing great. Don't say that. I mean, in Arabic, we say khajaltini. <laughs> I, I understand a little Arabic, although we have different dialects. But this, I understand. <laughs> okay. Uh, no, that is so sweet of you, Habibti. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you for accepting to be on this special episode. Um, there are a few ones that really have my heart. And when we're talking about coming back to Islam or discovering Islam, converting, re reverting, always hits differently. So I'm really excited about having this chat with you today. But before we get started, maybe you can introduce yourself a little bit. Assalamu alaikum once again, everyone. My name is Alisar Tawil. I am the CEO and founder of Rook, which is a modest wear brand here out of Jordan. Um, I'm also a married mother of three boys, specifically. So uh, there's no shortage of uh, excitement <laughs> over on my end, alhamdulillah. <laughs> um, and then something that people are always surprised to find out is that I am indeed a revert, which is not instinctive because I am Arab. Uh, but yes, alhamdulillah, I've been Muslim for a long time now, <laughs> I guess you could say since maybe 2004, 2005. And uh, it's been an interesting journey. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. One reason why, uh, well, I should give a little bit of context because at first this episode was supposed to be recorded with our friend Rachel, uh, which who you might know as Mamina Men on Instagram and YouTube. Um, and the reason why I wanted to have you both is because Rachel converted to Islam, but she's not Arab. And the reason why mm -hmm. I really wanted to have you on the podcast is because you're Arab, you're familiar with mm -hmm. Islam, and yet you mm -hmm. haven't been Muslim your whole life. So this is going to be a super interesting conversation, inshallah. And I feel like a lot of people are going to learn a lot of things. So let's get started with the, a very simple question. At what age did you go back to Islam? And what did your life look like before all of this? Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. So um, I think it's hard to say exactly when the switch happened, even though I did have the aha moment where I made my shahada. But right now, it's been so long that it's a bit of a blur. But I believe I was probably either 20 or 21 years old uh, when I, I took my shahada. And prior to that, I think you could describe me as a very spiritual person. So um, interestingly enough, I didn't grow up with a religion in specific. We were a very secular household. Um, we are 
my family is originally Druze, which is like a far off sect of Islam. But again, uh, we grew up in a house that didn't necessarily follow by any religious rules, but we had spiritual principles, if that makes sense. So for me, I grew up always with an awareness of the creator and that, you know, obviously this whole world didn't just come into existence by itself. And I believed and was raised to believe that you should be a good person and you should treat everybody the way that you're treated. And just like these very fundamental values that I think, you know, extend for everybody of all places. And this is basically the backdrop of where I came from um, before I started exploring you know, what Islam even is. And uh, one thing, uh, if I remember correctly, you're from a double culture, right? Yes. So that's another thing <laughs> that it's quite the story when I when people ask, because while, yes, I am, you know, my heritage is Lebanese and um, I, my whole family is Lebanese. I was born in Venezuela, South America. So my mother is first generation Lebanese in Venezuela. So she was born and raised there. And then my father, who's Lebanese, born and raised in Lebanon, met my mother in Venezuela on a chance trip to go visit his aunt, who also happened to live there. And subhanAllah, the rest is history. So I was born there as well. And my first language is actually Spanish. Uh, so that's another interesting bit that I think a lot of people always find surprising. Uh, and it's funny because that actually also had an impact on my worldview because in Venezuela, the predominant religion is Catholicism. So for us, we're very much accustomed, you know, to hearing the church bells. Uh, we used to go visit certain churches to, you know, offer prayers. Again, it, it wasn't necessarily, how can I put it? Um, it wasn't religious, but you feel like there's this spiritual connection, right? And you want to have this, this thing with the divine. And you look around you and you see what others are doing and something about it just appeals you because there's, there is this piece that comes from watching people develop in their faith, right? And so I always had that growing up. And I still remember like my earliest memories going to certain churches to offer prayers um, and, you know, make promises that should something happen, you know, you're going to donate or you're going to do X, Y, Z. Um, and yeah, so, so this was kind of like the context as well that uh, that was surrounding me from early on and not to mention also we had like uh, a plethora of family friends from all sorts of backgrounds and faiths so uh, for me like dabbling and understanding um, people's uh, perspectives of their faiths and whatnot was always very fascinating from early on. I feel like this is something we see a lot with people that converted, reverted to Islam, is that they were exposed to different religion. Like, um, obviously, there are atheist people that decide to convert and, mm -hmm. like, really bond with Islam. But what I find interesting is when you've been exposed to other beliefs and you decide that Islam is going the, to be the one that you're going to follow because it makes more sense. Um, personally, I, I have always been Muslim, but I went to Catholic school from like the age of 12 to the age of 18. And I was the only Muslim or at least practicing Muslim. And so we had to go to church every Wednesday. And it was very interesting to see the things that are in common especially when it comes to like 
the main the monotheist religions the bigger ones that we all know and mm -hmm. i was like okay it's so important to actually know about other beliefs so you get even more comfort from your own and actually even maybe for you i don't know you can tell me but maybe re it will just reinforce your choice to follow islam because you know how other religions work right yeah 100% i mean for me i think i i grew like you said that deep appreciation from islam because of what i was already exposed to and basically islam just bridged those gaps of understanding um that i had a difficult time with other faiths and and i always describe it to people like islam is nothing new it is a very um what's the word i'm looking for like it's a very instinctive faith in that in that it just makes sense right like you don't need to do too many mental gymnastics to understand it you know what i mean and so i felt like a lot of these other ways of life that i was exposed to they were the 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 they were beautiful in principle but when you got down to the nitty gritty that's where you would sort of have some skepticism about like okay but does that really make sense like can you truly in your heart like be okay with that line of reasoning let's say um whereas with islam like whenever you question it you can get a pretty exactly. clear cut answer so at least again this is this has been my experience and and i think what was so beautiful is like i said it's nothing new and it really felt just like a continuation of the same message that has always been brought down to the people right um except that it just cleared up whatever misconceptions or uh, ideas got lost in the process. So, and obviously in the context that we're in now, so we are currently witnessing the horrors of what is going on in Palestine, um, to see how many people, for example, are starting to explore Islam and being surprised by how much similarities they already have. SubhanAllah, like for me, like where I have even like non-Muslim relatives asking me about it. And that's just so beautiful to me because because you know it 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 goes to show that like there's something about this that is just so easy so, to understand yeah. and it's just so comforting right um and then alhamdulillah subhanallah i i thought about the exact same thing when you were talking it was like especially with everything going on we see so many non-muslims mm -hmm. being curious because they were like i can't i can't understand the amount of faith that Palestinians have like what what is this what is this and a lot of people say well I mean that's Islam for you surprise <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then they start reading the Quran and they realize that everything they thought Islam was it, it, it actually wasn't and mm -hmm. then they decide to learn more and everything which makes me think was there a point before you officially became Muslim when you were you had bad thoughts about Islam because you grew up in a secular family which means that uh, correct me if i'm wrong but you didn't fast during ramadan or you didn't do salah every day none of this right nothing <laughs> like we again just we literally celebrate with everybody without you know doing any of the hard stuff so forget fasting forget any of that um <laughs> so just you know wandering around this world um but it's it's interesting because and i hate to say this but I actually had more negative experiences with Muslims prior to becoming Muslim myself 
which I think did not help initially. Um, And this, I'm going to end up calling out the ummah on this one because as someone who was on the other side, I used to have like this this sense of superiority from Muslims um, when they'd find out that you weren't Muslim and they kind of look down on you, which used to irk me a lot um, growing up whenever I'd experience like those instances. Like I will never forget. I had this, this one time um, we were at our local swimming pool and I was speaking to my mother in Arabic. And then this little girl, she swims up to us and she's like, Oh, uh, like you speak Arabic. We're like, yeah, we speak Arabic. She's like, are you Muslim? And we're like, no, we're not. And she's like, Oh, and then she swam away. See those type, those situations leave such a bad taste in your mouth. And, yeah. and, and you carry them for a long time, right? Like I, I still remember that ick feeling that I got from that incident. And that was not even the first, like I've had other situations like that. And which is why I, I really encourage like my Muslim brothers and sisters to be very careful with how you interact with other people, because you as a person are a walking representation of this faith and whenever you behave in a way that is contrary to this faith you are doing the faith a disservice because our faith is beautiful and it's a shame for you to let your own um shortcomings tarnish this faith so um for me uh so that's that was my impression let's say of islam beforehand and i used to think like these people they think they're better than everybody else like they have their one-way ticket to jannah like (laughs) So again, it was, it wasn't positive. Let's just put it that way. It gets worse. So (laughs) I'm keeping it tame right now. But I remember the first time I started even thinking about Islam again was post 9-11. And I very vividly remember when I found out about 9-11, and I think everybody who was around at that time and had, you know, some sort of self-awareness knows exactly where they were. And I remember I was in like my art class, grade 12. And, you know, one of our, um, one of our classmates like busts through the door and says, the twin towers have been hit. And then basically the whole day just froze and we brought in a television and we were watching live and we were all glued to the TV the entire day. And at night, like even I got home, I was again, watching the news. Um, I was even doing my homework in front of the TV, just, you know, watching this. And I remember where they started talking about Islam and they started saying something about like, Oh, they believe in this deity called Allah and you know, something about the moon. And when he was saying that, like when the, 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 the anchor person was saying that in my mind, I was like, bro, what are you on? Allah's just Arabic for God. Right. And again, I could say this as a, like even our Christian Arab friends say Allah, yes. it's written in yes. their Bibles. It says Allah in Arabic. So that was the first time where I actually hit pause. And I was like, hold up, something's not right here. Like, why is he trying to make it seem like Muslims believe in something weird? Like, you know, Allah is like this unique moon god, right? So, <laughs> but you know what I mean? So for me, that was probably was the first time. I was time. thinking, that's shirk. <laughs> like, Bro, so so for me, that's when you could say that the, the light first came on. And I started, you know, seeing like, I feel like there's something very deliberate in the way that they're talking about this faith to make this group look like there's something alien, right? 
Um, But that's as far as it got. So I became pretty defensive about Islam in the sense that I don't want people to be, you know, insulting this entire group of humans, right? Who, Who have this faith and their faith is, you know, like at the end of the day, they believe in a creator. They believe in a higher power. It's very straightforward, right? So that's as far as it got. So for me, that was, again, lurking in the back of my mind. So we're living in now this post 9-11 world. And then you start hearing all of these terrible associations and people start pinning Islam with terrorism, with Arab, with this and that. And as an Arab person myself, like it's, you can't miss this. Right. Um, And it just made me even more critical about the stuff that I was hearing uh, in the news and, you know, just watching how, um, how unjust people were being towards this entire group of people. Right. So, so that's basically the backdrop of just before I started exploring Islam more deeply. So you told me that seeing all this injustice post 911 just really 911 not 911 911 <laughs> um <laughs> really made you think about islam in a way that was like it's so unfair like so many people follow that religion and a lot of people seem to be completely fine it's just not fair what was the one thing that made you think i actually want to learn more about it as a practice and like as a way of life, as you were saying. So enter my now husband. <laughs> and and I know how people are going to be like, oh, okay, she converted for her men. No, hear me out. Yeah, so- I mean, to be honest, most people that are going to listen to the podcast are Muslims. I'm, I'm sure there will mm-hmm. be non-Muslim as well yeah. that hopefully don't have that that idea. Mm-hmm. But I know a lot of non-Muslims yes. are like, oh yeah, she converted for a man. My family included. So <laughs> so let's start from there. So for me, it's interesting because I was not looking to get married. <laughs> and I grew up being told that uh, uh, if the day I decide I want to get married, it has to be an Arab boy. And my family's request was, it doesn't matter what his religion is, as long as he's an Arab boy, that's what we care about. Because again, as a secular family, we care about our culture, our traditions, the food, etc. So my family just wants someone who speaks the same language. So those were, that was the criteria. And I was a good child. I did not disobey my parents. I don't have any crazy stories. The worst I ever did was go to the mall when my mom told me don't go to the mall. And then my friend tried to steal something (laughs) and I felt so bad. And that was that. (laughs) Like that was my first lesson in Allah is watching (laughs) and you cannot hide anything from him. So, so that's, that's like the, the extent of my rebellion <laughs> growing up. So when I was in second year university, I remember I had a friend who kept insisting that I meet this guy because she thought that we would make a really good pair. Again, similar interests and whatnot. And as someone who never dabbled in dating, because I quite literally did not want to deal with like fighting my family over this. <laughs> I was like, girl, I, I don't got time for that. Please just let me focus on my studies. She kept insisting for three months that I need to meet this person. So eventually just the stars aligned, as they say, and, or in, we would say nasib, uh, the fate. Uh, had it that it was exam season and everything was lazy and, you know, there wasn't many things going on on campus. 
And she happened to be in the same classroom with him that I was the hour prior. So literally I would finish my psychology class and then her class would come in and then he shared that class with her. And they were in like the same uh, mentor group or whatever. And so she's like, one day on my way out of my class, I would always see her coming back. We used to live in the same house. She's like, okay, he's in this class with me. Why don't you just stay instead of going home? And then I'll introduce you. <laughs> and again, because it really required no effort on my part. I said, okay. So, um, so one day as planned, I, my class was over and rather than get up and go home, I literally just stayed in my spot. And then she came into class and then eventually he came into class and she pointed him out and said, okay, that's the dude. And for those of you who are single, it was not an, any kind of like, wow, stars. And no, it was very basic. Like, oh, okay. It's nothing special. <laughs> so just, this is to let you know that there's no such thing as like, you know, you start seeing stars and like the world stops. It was a very... Does your husband know that you you didn't feel like it was special? I've said this story in front of him thousands of times to other people. So he's well aware. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure... And it was vice versa. Like, I'm just some person, right? <laughs> so, And mind you, this was during Canadian winter. So the amount of layers and hats and you know we i might as well be in a burka because like we you know like that's that's what it was like so um anyways so yeah my friend points him out and she's like that's the guy and i was like okay that's cool um and then what what do you do right so subhanallah because i feel like this is an interesting part of the story the the class that she happened to share with him was an anthropology class called death and dying of all things okay so you know not morbid at all <laughs> and then subhanallah very very romantic very <laughs> right but to, 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 but it goes to show you subhanallah that day they happened to be discussing death and dying in islam so the the premise of the class as an anthropology class is that they explore how death is seen in different cultures and that day happened to be islam so Subhanallah. Subhanallah. Right? And the teacher, the, the professor happened to ask, like, oh, is there anybody in the class who knows how to write Arabic? And guess who puts up their hand? Homeboy. <laughs> so he puts up his hand and then she calls him to the front of the class because, you know, I needed a better view, apparently. <laughs> so he goes on and he, she tells him, start writing this and that. And he's writing. And I'm like, okay, okay. But again, nothing special. But I just thought it was funny how the coincidence that of all days I show up during this class and then he ends up going to the front of the class. So um, after that, you know, we were, I felt awkward as you can imagine. I told my friend, like, I don't, what do people do? She's like, it's okay, I'll just introduce you. You're my friend and you're Arab and you don't know other Arab people. Like, that is the worst excuse I've ever heard, but okay. <laughs> really? <laughs> so, like, really? <laughs> Because she knew she knew my parents' requirements, right? Because even when I told her, get off my case, she's like, don't worry, I did my research, he's Arab. So I was like, okay. <laughs> she's a good friend. We got that out of the way. My friend, yeah, wing girl, like I'm telling you. So I'm <laughs> still friends with her to this day, God bless her. Um, anyways, long story short, we exchanged emails, and this was during the days of like MSN Messenger, and we just chatted. I know this is not halal for those of you out there, but this is the way things unfold. I love how we have um, to do that disclaimer, but people don't un 
always understand how it works. Not how it works, but how it's trickier in the West, yes, I would say. for sure. Because Again, we did not, I mean, my mother, again, met my father and they had a chaperone. And then in my case, it was almost the same thing. So we started chatting online. And eventually when we decided to start, you know, meeting in person, we already had this understanding between the two of us that like, we just want to see if this has potential. Again, we would meet in public spaces in the student center um, and we would have coffee. Again, some people might argue with this, but that's the story. And may Allah forgive us during our ignorance. Um, but like one month after starting to see each other in person, we kind of agreed that, yes, we want to get engaged because we know that there's no such thing as dating, right? Um, but we wanted to just make sure that like we were kind of on the same level. And so once we made the decision to get engaged, sorry, go ahead. He was aware that you were not Muslim at that point. Yeah. So he knew. Um, I mean, we discussed like... And he, he he was okay with it. This is where it gets interesting okay. because when we understood that we wanted to get engaged, we started having these conversations about the future, right? Like, what would our life look like? And from then, he told me, listen, I understand that you're not Muslim, but I accept you the way that you are. Or sorry, and I accept you the way that you are. The only thing is that, inshallah, once we have children... I want to raise them as Muslims. And so for me, as someone who grew up, you know, without really any kind of customs in that respect, I couldn't really argue. I told him, okay, fair enough. But that was the spark that led me to start asking questions about Islam because I figured, okay, well, if I'm agreeing to this, I would like to know what I'm getting into. And so this is where the questioning, <laughs> the inquisition began. So I figured, okay, well, since you're the one who brought this up, let me ask you, right? And cue every single misconception you could possibly imagine about Islam being thrown this man's way. Like what? Everything, everything. So like, okay, the earliest question I remember, it's like, yeah, you guys, you do this whole Ramadan thing and you say that you fast because you want to like empathize with the poor but then at the end of the day, y'all pig out. And I said it just like that. Okay. So I don't understand. <laughs> that completely defeats the purpose. So I can say that because I'm Muslim now, right? But like that, like. You haven't changed at all. I, nothing. So for me, like going into. <laughs> so when I think about it now, I'm like, I am surprised this man did not like tell me off. Let's just put it at that, right? Because. I was so offensive with my questions, like no, no holds barred. Right. So like, and I would just throw him questions like that. Right. And Alhamdulillah, Alhamdulillah, and God bless him. What I appreciated so much, even as offensive as I was with my questions, never once did he get upset. And whenever he and and when he had an answer he would give me the answer and it was very logical very rational and i'd be like okay fair enough and i would leave it but then when he didn't know the question and this is the key or sorry when he didn't know the answer and this is the key part that i hope so many others will take from it he would genuinely tell me you know what i don't know and i had so much respect for that and it made me want to genuinely listen to what he had to say because I could tell that it was sincere and he wasn't trying to just say something for the sake of convincing me. Um, he genuinely didn't know. And when we met, obviously, like he, he was like your typical 
Muslim boy in the West, which, you know, is Muslim mostly during Ramadan and on Jumas, right? So, um, oh, that is interesting. Alhamdulillah. That's interesting, actually. Mm-hmm. I feel like most convert that I talk to, usually the, the guys that mm-hmm. they end up falling in love with, they're, well, they're not like super pious, but they still like yeah. have a sense of, of practice. Yeah. So, I mean, there's, there's, there's bits and pieces of it, right? So nothing yeah. perfect, but there's still there's still a, a connection. So yeah, and, and also enough to ask you to raise your kids in Islam. So that means that it was still kind of important for him. Hundred percent. So for me, yeah. um, whenever he would go and then come back with an answer, I would just be quiet because like okay, that makes sense, right? Um, like for another question, <laughs> like <laughs> I would ask him. You guys, you keep talking about like good deeds and and bad deeds as if it's some kind of basketball game and you're trying to rack up points, right? So, like, what is this, right? And so, like, I laugh about it now because it feels like that sometimes, right? Well, the, the way people talk. But then, you know, he would be like, okay, it's not that simple, right? I mean, it's just... For yeah. certain types of people, <laughs> it helps with them trying to understand how the system works. So, uh, but again, it was those kinds of very blunt questions that were being thrown his way. So bless him, mashallah. Um, and like I said, so he would eventually got to the point where I ran out of questions to ask. Like, I was satisfied with the, the, the answers that he gave. And that's when my own curiosity was sparked. Because I figured, you know what, this, this, this is making a lot of sense. You know, I I can see how all-encompassing this is in terms of, like, how to live your life. And I just started yeah. to read on my own. So I remember, you know, buying a Quran, starting to read it, feeling, you know, very curious about, like, the way the Quran was written because it doesn't read like a regular book. So those were, like, some of my initial thoughts. Did you read it in Arabic or in English? English. I my Arabic is at a KG2 uh reading level right now and I can tell you that with certainty because my 6-year-old and I or almost 6-year-old <laughs> we're at same reading level <laughs> in Arabic right now. So <laughs> I read to him to that learn. That makes me <laughs> that's good because i'm in the same situation and i always feel guilty i feel like i don't have any excuse when arabic is the language of algeria and the language of the quran and Mm -hmm. i'm so slow i read so slowly and i'm just not good it's painful i'll be honest with you like i i feel so bad when i get frustrated with my children trying to read because i now understand how painful it is to try to read and you're not fluent and yeah. it doesn't help when my husband passes by and then he hears me trying and he starts snickering to himself. I'm like, listen, <laughs> I'm trying. <laughs> so, but it's good. But that, alhamdulillah. Yeah, alhamdulillah. It's good that we're saying that because I, I think every every time I talked with people thinking about converting or newly converts, they're like, Arabic is so hard. Do I need to learn Arabic? Do I need to read Arabic? I'm like, you guys, even people that are born in Arab cultures, do not know how to speak Arabic or to read Arabic. So just try your best. Try your best. <laughs> the more I I started diving into it, just the more I understood and became convinced that 
there is no way this book could have come from a human being. Because for me, I think as someone who was studying the sciences, um, and, and I mentioned this in the sense of like, I'm very much about things being logical and easy to understand. I feel like the more complicated you make it, the less likely it is to be true. So um, for me, like just all of the scientific signs in the Quran was very impressive to me. And if I had to give you like my aha moment, it came when I was learning about uh, Surah Al-Alaq. Um, so so the, the Surah of the plot or the thing that hangs. Um, and there was this verse that, you know, people were saying how like the miracles with psychology um, and, and what, neuro, sorry, not psychology, neuropsychology and neuroscience. Um, and when the, when, when, when the stars align, subhanAllah, I, before I came across the piece of evidence that I'm going to share, I was in my neuropsychology class and we were learning, and again, in neuropsychology, you learn all about the brain and how it, it interacts with the rest of your, your body and also with your behavior. So this particular verse, um, it starts from verse, uh, so it's uh, Surah 90, 96, verse 13. And it says, what if that man persists in denial and turns away? Does he not know that Allah sees all? But no, if he does not desist, we will certainly drag him by the forelock, a lying, sinful forelock. That particular verse is cited as like a miracle in the Quran. Why? So when you look at it, first glance, it kind of reads interesting because if we're imagining judgment day and then Allah is going to bring up all of the people who were sinful or who didn't listen to him or like turned away from his remembrance, grabbing someone by the forelock, which is like your forehead, does not exactly feel instinctive. Let's put it that way. Like when you imagine grabbing someone, you think grabbing them by the neck, maybe grabbing them up by the arms, uh, grabbing them upside down by the feet, grabbing them by like the torso. Uh, this feels weird. And it uh, like, like if someone was writing this, like who would come up with this, right? Like it, it's not natural. Let's just put it that way. It's yeah. not a natural yeah. way to grab someone, right? And then to further qualify it by saying a lying sinful forelock. So what does lying and sinful have anything to do with you know, your, your forehead, right? And then you bring it to neuropsychology and we all know that your frontal cortex is like the executive of your brain. And this is where all of your decisions are made. Um, so whenever you're trying to plan, whenever, you know, you're trying to uh, plan anything, like plan what you're going to do, what you're going to say, what to think, etc., it all runs through this part of your mind. And lying which is something that you plan, also happens here. And it's also the same place that gets inhibited when you drink. So when you're inebriated, or uh, this is the part that gets shot. That's why you make stupid decisions, because you don't have proper access to this area. So when it says a lying sinful forelock, Allahu Akbar. SubhanAllah. So that, that was the verse that actually made me take shahada. Like when I read that, I was like, okay, I get it. Because I, there is no way, no way anyone would have been able to say something so specific and so true at that time.
And that's when I like I realized the miracle of the Quran. And no. because a lot of people will tell you, oh, it no. was written by a man, but <laughs> mm, no, no, <laughs> this is mm -mm. so. And subhanAllah, like I'd read about like the 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 actual alaq, like the the verses of the embryo and whatnot, but that still you could argue, right? Because oh, maybe dissection, people could figure it out. But this, like, what? How would you ever make that connection, right? So Alhamdulillah, like that for me was when I came around and I accepted that this was truly from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the rest is history, I guess. Alhamdulillah. It's, uh, Alhamdulillah. I love hearing those stories every time <laughs> because it's very personal, you know, not everyone has the same shift at the same time mm. or with the same verse. And uh, I never thought about this um and and subhanallah every every time i read the quran there's something new that i learned there's something new that i realized but every time i'm like this is not written by a man this could never mm -hmm. be written by a man it's just the way it's constructed the way it's written it's just it's special and even if you are struggling to read it when you just listen to it there's just something special about it mm -hmm. it's i don't know subhanallah subhanallah mm -hmm. for sure and we really don't appreciate it as much as we yes should. i can tell you that like i we forget how miraculous this book is yeah. and subhanallah times like this right now it motivates you to pick it up and try to dig deep once again um and it's incredible also how regardless of what's going on in your life, if you just randomly open it up and pick a verse, it will have some relation to whatever it is you're going through. Like you will be able to find a way that it's connected to whatever you're going through right now. It's it's incredible in that respect. SubhanAllah. Um, that there's always knowledge that you can attain from even the littlest of verses. Yeah. So alhamdulillah that, you know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guided us. And... Um, And I always pray that I I never lose uh, that 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 sense of awe from His word. It's so important. I think this is something that we need to maintain as well. It's like you're watering a plant. You know, your your faith is truly your mm. iman is truly like a plant that you want to keep growing and and see blossoming. So I think that's something very important. One thing that I was thinking about was um, oh. I got I lost it wait what was I going to say uh oh yeah I remember <laughs> um Go for I, it. one one of the 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 content creators that really got interested in the Quran since everything going on uh was telling a story where she she was watching a live of someone talking about it and then she saw that he started reciting like without reading anything And then she was surprised. She was like, wait, do you guys memorize those surah? And then people said, some people know the whole Quran. And she was blown away. She was like, you guys memorize a whole book? And then people were like, but that's not just a book. That's the thing. That's the thing. No one would just... You know when you put it that way? Sorry to interrupt you. When you put it that way? Yeah. Who memorizes a whole book? Right. And that's something that's a good point that's oh, that's one thing and uh even when you just think about surah al-baqarah it's like you would be able to mm. talk for two hours straight 
and recite it as a normal thing. SubhanAllah, and I really think that this is very specific to the Quran. One thing that I wanted to ask you was when you took that plunge, when you mm-hmm. finally said, okay, like took your shahada and were officially Muslim, mashallah, what mm-hmm. were the things that you ch- like you found most challenging and what were the things that contrarywise you thought were like mm-hmm. came naturally to you? Fasting was the easiest. I don't know why. Really? <laughs> Fasting was so easy. I was able to fast, but I still wasn't praying. Like that's that's where I was at. So um, for me, it w- I, if the hardest I would say is salah, and to make salah like such a routine part of your day to day, that was hard because you are inconveniencing yourself when you pray because you have to stop whatever it is you're doing or wake yourself from the middle of your sleep in order to take part in this action. Whereas fasting, it's you not doing something. Which you know, it's easier yeah. to not do something than to have to do something. So not eating. I never, I never thought about this that way, but that is so true. Yeah. So I mean, like, I don't have to eat. Okay, <laughs> I just avoid food. Um, whereas uh, the idea of like making wudu and like finding a place to make wudu and then finding a place to go pray, especially if you're out and about during the day, that's that's challenging. Right. I mean, especially if you live in the West here in Jordan, like, I mean, any mall has a salah room and they have like a nice wudu station. It's not that complicated, but in the West, it's not that easy. And you dread people finding you praying. Like, even if you like, for example, in university, if you like (laughs) want to sneak off in the library, find a little corner to offer your salah, you're terrified that someone will like randomly pass by you and be like, Right, so <laughs> it's just weird, right? Yeah, you can't do that in France. Some people do it, but here, if you do that, some people are going to report you for sure. There you go. So, so again, like uh, people have had to find broom closets to offer their salah so that they don't get. Yeah. Uh, so you can imagine, like that. It's if it's not something that you're accustomed to, it is difficult to make it a habit. Let's put it that way. Um, and it's a, and like anything, it's a muscle that you just need to exercise until eventually it becomes so natural that you don't even think about it anymore. So I remember before, um, the, the, the way I would see Salah, again, it, I never saw it in a negative way, but like I, it, inconvenience would be probably the best way to describe it because like it just cuts up at different points of your day. Whereas yeah. once Salah has become a habit, you start planning your day around the Salah. So whenever I want to go see someone, for example, I'll be like, okay, yeah, I think it's better if I see them after Maghrib because then Isha, I can always make it up when I come back. But if I leave at like Asr time, then it makes Maghrib, then I might miss Maghrib. You know, like these are calculations. This is Muslim math. <laughs> if we're gonna, this is Muslim math that you start making um, when you're in that stage. Uh, to make sure that you're not missing anything um, and that you're always ready. This is the Muslim math that you start doing. Once salah has become like like a, a non-negotiable part of your day. So, and alhamdulillah, it, it, it's not something that happens overnight. Um, and like I said, as with anything, it's a habit that you build until eventually it just becomes a staple. SubhanAllah. Um... Yeah, I think in the episode about Salah, we mentioned the exact same things. I don't think, I don't think Salah, although it is probably 
well, it is the second most important pillar of Islam. And, you know, you, you build mm-hmm. your iman and hope to reach Ihsan thanks to this base that you have and that is, like, allowed by the five pillars. Yeah. It takes time, but you can get there, right? As long as, as, long as you have that intention, right? That you want to get better at it. And you don't yeah. remain satisfied with just doing like the bare minimum or last minute or whatnot. Like I would say me currently, I'm at a stage where now I'm trying my best to offer all the extra prayers. Whereas if you'd asked me like maybe two years ago, I'd be like, oh, I barely have enough time for them. Especially when I worked full time out of my house. Um, now it's like, what excuse do you have? You're literally home. Right? So <laughs> why not? Yeah. And especially yeah. now with the situation, it that reminds so you like if anything, you need to be praying more, right? So, but again, if you ask this to past Elisar, eh, not too much, <laughs> but now it's different. So we're all at different levels uh, or at different stages of our Islam, let's put it that way. And the, the, the wonderful thing is as long as, like I said, you have that intention to just continuously improve before you know it, you're a completely different person. I have one question. How far into converting did you decide to wear hijab? Like how many years or like months was it after you took mm-hmm. your shahada? Because one question that I often get from people thinking about converting or who just convert is like, do I have to wear hijab now? It's mm-hmm. just such a huge step. I want to wear it, but also like I have to deal with everything that comes with converting. So when did you decide to wear it? Um, I started or I was convinced to wear it when I was pregnant with my first child. So I'd already been married, I think. Like, I mean, I'd known my husband already for uh, three years two years, three years. And then we gotten married. And again, and when I got married, I literally never imagined I would wear hijab. I'm telling you, like I, one of the conditions about for me marrying my husband, I promised that I would never wear Subhanallah. hijab. Because in my mind, I was like, that's crazy. You plan like, and Allah plan. Me, of all people, I'm telling you, I am like the poster child <laughs> for you plan and Allah plans. Because <laughs> I mean, I I spent my honeymoon on a beach wearing a very revealing <laughs> piece of clothing. Let's put it that way. So when you, like, when I was told that, I was like, what a ridiculous thing to say, right? Like, it was unfathomable to me that I would even contemplate hijab. And, and, and here we are. So, so, but at the time, I remember when I was... Um, Again, subhanAllah, something about being pregnant and like just makes you contemplate life more deeply. Um, And I guess that had opened up my heart to learn more about what does hijab mean, right? Um, Or what is modesty in general? And just the more I read, the more it started to make sense that, you know, like I grew up in a very superficial society, let's put it that way, where there's so much emphasis on the way you look, and how you present yourself, and your intellect is, like, put to the back, right? Like, nobody cares about how smart you are. People care about how good you look. And I think for me, what was very powerful was this idea of, like, the hijab being used to remove that distraction so that people can actually hear you, 
and appreciate you for who you are, not what you look like. So that's probably the bit about hijab that resonated with me the most, given my 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 context. And when that dawned on me, um, I I realized, you know what? I think I get it. I I understand, and I think this is the right thing to do. But between me understanding and being convinced and me executing was quite uh, a distance <laughs> because I had all of this. Mm, I, for In my case, because I had made that promise to my family that I would never wear hijab. And then the thought of me defying my family was a thought that was just so great that I I, I just couldn't bring myself to confronting them in that respect. but. The aha moment for me was I had already had my son at this point and I was going through this thought process of like, you know, if I were to walk out the door and get hit by a bus, God forbid, and then I have to stand before my Lord and I have to explain myself when he asked me, he's like, okay, so, so hijab, what's up with that? And I say, oh, you know, I understand I was convinced, but, you know, I was just afraid of my family and what what would happen. And then I imagine that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would reply something to the effect of, so you were afraid of your family, but you weren't afraid of me? And then that one hit me like a ton of bricks. (laughs) That gave me chills. I've been through the same process and that that still gives me chills. Yeah, like it gave me chills again right now. (laughs) So I was like, oh, that is a terrible answer, right? So yeah. I, I was, yeah, I, I couldn't. I, and that's when I started feeling that sense of urgency that, you know, because if I wasn't convinced, that's a whole different story. And obviously you'll be judged according to wherever you were mentally. That's why I say that yeah. intention is so important. Like in my case, yeah, I was convinced that it's the right thing, but I wasn't doing it because I had a fear of man instead of a fear of God. So yeah. I, like that was unacceptable. Um, and I knew that that would not go down well should I meet my creator <laughs> anytime soon? So, um, yeah. So that's when I basically just put a deadline for myself. Um, I happened to get into grad school and I said on my first day of grad school, that'll be the first day I wear my hijab. And that's what I did. So for me, I remember, Alhamdulillah, Alhamdulillah. I, I would drop off my son who was, uh, I think a year old at the time. I would drop him off at my parents cause they would look after him. And then I would head downtown to my class. And then on my way, I would put on my hijab. And then I'd walk into university with hijab. And then when I'd come back to pick up my son, I would take it back off. So I did this for about a semester. I would leave, wear hijab, come back. It was the opposite of what every Muslim girl does in the West. Because <laughs> our friends were infamous for, they walk out of their house with hijab. And then it comes off in school. Right? So people would laugh at me because they're like, that's, that's, that's not usually how it works, but okay. So, so in my case, I did that for about a whole semester. But then alhamdulillah, um, winter came around. And like I told you, there, winters in Canada, everybody is basically in hijab burqa because like it is cold. Um, so... It became really easy yeah. because then instead of wearing like a hijab, I could just wear winter hats. And I was very well known for owning like 20 hats. So I wore them all the time and no one said anything because that's just the way I dressed during the winter time. 
the issue became during the spring where the snow melted, the flowers were blooming, and I'm still dressed as if it's 40 degrees outside. <laughs> so eventually I was confronted. And that's when I couldn't say, I couldn't deny it anymore because, you know, that I was, they looked at me and they're like, so that's not coming off, is it? And nope, I don't think it it's is. Not, and yeah. yeah, so it it was pretty rough, I will admit, um, during that period of time, because again, uh, it's a very sensitive subject and I got a lot of backlash from my family. I was, you know, my family threatened to disown me as a result, because for them, it wasn't so much what I chose to practice as much as what I was projecting to the world. And as someone who grew up in a secular home and after, and if you're aware, like the civil war in Lebanon, there was a huge component that had to do with like religious differences. So it was almost like being a flag bearer, right? And, and you are somehow advertising to the world what you believe and that you're somehow better than everybody else. So that that's that was the connotation behind it. Whereas other people in my family were like, oh, your beauty, we can no longer see it. So it was more superficial. <laughs> but uh but it was the symbolic um uh the symbolic reason that made it such a controversy in the family. So um and then cue everyone blaming my husband, thinking that he brainwashed me and forced it upon me. Um, which again, it's a very common trope, uh, in, in Arab culture, especially when there's like, uh, interfaith marriages. So yeah, I, I guess I should have expected it, but it still hurt nonetheless, because I grew up in a very close family. And like I mentioned, I never defied my parents ever. So, so that was huge for me. Right. And it's interesting because I don't know why I remembered now, but like part of the reason why I named my son Musa is because of uh, because of the story of Sayyidina Musa, where I think it's in the surah of السلام, it was in the surah of the poets, where basically Pharaoh he confronts him and he's like, you know, didn't we raise you and we took care of you and now you're doing this? And so I kind of like saw my story in him, where you know I grew up like pampered and loved and and now I'm going and doing something and I'm defying my loved ones, right? So it was part of the reason why I gravitated to the name as well. Um, so, so yeah, it, it took time for things to turn around, but I realized that after I had my child and I don't know, at one point I, I, this sort of dawned on me and, you know, I, I was able to put myself in their shoes and think like, you know, like all of this hate wasn't actually hate. It was actually fear that was coming out, but it seems like hate and it seems like anger because think about it. If you raise your child and you sacrifice so much for this child and then they grow up and then they're, they become something completely foreign to you, right? That's scary, right? Like, like all of this time and energy and love that you poured into this, this child. And then all of a sudden, there, it, it feels like they want to dissociate from you. Like they, like the, everything you did for them wasn't good enough. And now they chose this other way of life. Right. And, and, and you fear that like, they want nothing to do with you. Right. Because you're no longer the same in that particular aspect. So when I came to that realization is when I stopped taking it personally. 
and I was able to see it from like their perspective, even though they hadn't voiced it like that. But again, I studied psychology, so it helped. <laughs> um, so I was able to to understand like where they were coming from. And I imagined myself like, okay, well, now I'm raising my child in this particular way, and I hope that they remain Muslim, but God knows what happens in the future. So I started to approach the situation with compassion. Um, and I made efforts to always flip the script. So whenever I felt that the conversation was going to start going downwards, for the longest time, by the way, the subject of hair was a trigger for me. If we ever started talking about hair, at, at, like with my family, I would start feeling the onset of a panic attack because I knew that this would devolve into a very ugly, heated conversation and I didn't want to deal with it. So yeah. like I would always just change the subject, right? And like, or walk away and pretend like I got busy with something else because I did not, I knew where it was going. So, and then I was like, why am I running away from it? Why don't I just make fun of it, right? So for example, you know, um, without going into details, uh, rain is not our friend. And whenever you go out, like that's always a problem, right? <laughs> Bad hair days. So, um, so one day it was raining. And then I think my mom was saying like, oh no, I just blow dried my hair. It's going to be, and I was like, haha, at least I don't have to worry about any bad hair day. Right. So I started like taking charge <laughs> of my own story. Right. And so, and they would laugh. Right. It's like, well, yeah, yeah, that's true. That's an advantage. And it was just like little digs here and there, um, <laughs> is what slowly started making me become more comfortable and okay with uh, expressing uh, or like having discussions around this. Or for example, I would be told like, oh, uh, we want to go to visit our family in Venezuela, right? And in Venezuela, like every outing revolves around the beach. And they're like, oh, but I don't know what the point of you going would be since, you know, it's not like you're going to go in the pool or it's not like you're going to swim. I told her, you could always tell them I'm wearing scuba gear. Like, what is the problem? Just make something up, right? So just again, <laughs> Cracking jokes here and there. Eventually, it, it became easier. And uh, and that's sort of how eventually like we, we, we overcame that obstacle because I was able to show them that, listen, yes, I may be dressed more, but that's the extent of it. Uh, my relationship with you has not changed. And I will still love you and I will still care yeah. for you and serve yeah. you as long as it's within the limits of what I can do. Um, that part won't change. And so we went from a situation of potentially being disowned, okay, to my family being the ones who invested in my hijab business. So you could, it's a complete 180 <laughs> in their opinion of the situation. <laughs> so alhamdulillah, um, I think I, we really do need to understand how far compassion um can take us in general as Muslims, you know, regardless with who it is that we're interacting, just take the time to see things from other people's perspective. And like you were saying earlier, give people the benefit of the doubt for crying out loud. Like don't jump to conclusions. Yeah. Um, and I think this is something that I, people tend to forget. They think like, Oh, well, if I see something wrong, I should call it out before you call it out, like make an excuse, right? Like come up with anything. You know, but before, like, if it's not so blatant or there's like some gray area, assume the best. 
at the very least, right? And then if you still feel a way about it, you yeah. can always advise them politely on the side and know that you did your part. And whatever the outcome, that's not you. That's between that person and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Exactly. I feel like that's beautiful advice for uh, con like people thinking about converting that are afraid uh, of their families. I feel like that's often a huge part of it all, mm -hmm. especially when you grew up in the West, even more so maybe when you're not Arab and have zero Muslim people around you and um, like your family is Catholic or atheist or whatever, and then you have to come to to them I, i feel like in france especially with the current climate like when people mm. go and like yeah i want to convert to islam I, i'm not blaming mm -hmm. those parents to have a little bit of a panic attack and freak out it's like oh okay you you decide to join that community that is going through so much and that has so much like misconceptions around it and you know you're you're i feel like i'm not a parent but i i would imagine that as a parent your first reflex is to protect your child and have like this like mm -hmm. this need of being like I'm as you said it's more motivated by fear and also maybe a lack of education because you we are so much exposed to a certain aspect of it all mm -hmm. that isn't even true that it's easy to just like think this is this is it this is how it is and you know it's it it requires some personal work to challenge those belief systems and be like okay My, my child is making that decision I need to set my ego on the side and everything that I've learned and know so far to actually try to understand their decision but in order for them to do that it's as you said we need to be well not we because we are not in that situation but uh, they like anyone that is listening and that is going through this needs to really show compassion and be patient we, we, we can imagine that this isn't easy obviously and one question that i have for you alisar was actually um was there a moment through all of this complicated situation with your family where you felt resentment towards allah or like you were just questioning your decision like oh this is a lot because mentally speaking i'm imagining that when you're not in good terms with your family or you or every uh every time you meet them and those topics come on the table you just start to not feeling so well I can only imagine that you might feel like, oh, maybe maybe I did something wrong. It would be natural, if that makes sense, right? So was this something that you felt like happened to you? SubhanAllah, I can genuinely tell you that that was never, ever the case. Like, I think if anything, I, I learned from early on the power of Islam in terms of coping with difficulty. And from day one, like the, the verse in the Ma'al Usri Yusra uh, has been like a mantra in my head all the time, in the Ma'al Usri Yusra, which is, you know, verily uh, with hardship, there is ease. Um, and that has gotten me by every single difficulty up until this day. And if anything, I feel like I, I trust so much in Allah's plan that I've had some significant <laughs> uh, things happen to me in the last three months. And my attitude was, it's okay, we'll get through it. Um, and I don't know, yeah. like maybe in the past it would cause me a little bit of a panic. Again, not questioning Allah's wisdom, but naturally you feel anxiety, right? Whenever something is uncertain. Yeah. Um, Like to give you an example, like financially, 
I mean, I grew up in a working class home and I saw my parents struggle and they had to like, you know, support their families back home. And I like I, I remember like how much, you know, my parents worked hard to make ends meet and make sure that we didn't have that nothing was missing in our life. And alhamdulillah, like I'm so blessed. Um, but I think seeing, for example, my mother, sorry, mom, her anxiety around finances, right? That translated to me. And I also remember like seeing my father at one point, like struggling with feeling frustrated because he couldn't do more. And, you know, that had like a very deep impact on me uh, as a child. And so as an adult, the moment I feel like, you know, am, are we going to be able to pay the bills or like, am I going to be able to make this payment or whatever? It sends, it induces anxiety. And that, that went on for years. And then I think even as I became, you know, um, more devout in Islam and, you know, the idea of putting your trust in Allah, that anxiety would creep in whenever I would feel any kind of instability, right? And then last year, um, I was in a situation where uh, basically a lot of issues happened in the back end of my business and I ended up running out of cash. So I was done. And I, I sort of had a moment where I was like, so is this how far I go? Right? Like, I am, should I shut down my business now? Because I don't know what to do. And alhamdulillah, I had like the support of my family. And they're like, don't worry, we got you. You just, you keep going, okay? Whatever overheads you have and whatever, we'll take care of that. You just keep pushing. And I remember at the time, um, I, because a lot of the issues that I was having was with manufacturers because I, I had to use like not so great manufacturers because they were the only ones who were willing to make like small quantities for me here locally. Uh, but if I wanted to get like the better ones, I needed to put in like a big order. Right. So in order for them to take to take me, I would have to put in like, you know, some of them like minimum 5000 pieces, which a lot. Um, eventually, I managed to bring it down to like 3000 units. And even then, that was a stretch. And to fund that, I would need about yeah. twenty five thousand dollars. So um, between materials and whatnot and, you know, it adds up. So I was like, oh, my God, where am I going to get twenty five thousand dollars from? Right. And my family was like, don't worry, we'll, we'll, we'll help you. We'll, we'll cover that. So they basically gave me that money to get this thing made. Right. And, uh, I eventually, you know, out of the blue, uh, I had word that this competition that I entered, I made it to the finals. So, uh, in this competition, um, I was selected to represent like the Levant, um, or I was, I, I made it to like the Levant finals and I competed with like 10 other, uh, female entrepreneurs for this competition. And, and I won, subhanAllah. Uh, and then, but I just won the opportunity to make it to the finals. Okay. So the final competition would be like, so this was in. Let me remember. This was in, I think, August of last year. And then the, comp the final competition would be in December of last year. However, in the middle of it, they decided to have like a Middle Eastern 
like a regional type competition. So all of the people who won from the Middle East, we were five people, had to compete uh, for, or were going to compete just amongst each other. So out of these five women, I was one of them. And then we ended up like we, it was a competition. It was in Dubai. So they flew me out there and then we, we pitched over there. The competition uh, was not planned for. This was something extra. Okay. Like it was not in the plans. And first place would get a significant prize. So I pitched, even though I thought I bombed <laughs> because it was really bad. I was so nervous, okay? And subhanAllah, I won first place. And not only did I win first place, Mashallah. the amount that I won was exactly $25,000. So subhanAllah. if there was ever a sign <laughs> to like relax, that and like just trust Allah, that was it. And for me, I from that day, khalas. Like I was, whatever Allah wills, I am ready for it. So, like I like it, it did not escape me that the exact same amount that I needed was the exact same amount that I won. So like the like the coincidence yeah. there was just too much. And alhamdulillah, I you know like it, it like it, it took me out of the debt that I had occurred from all of the disasters and whatnot. And so when, when they tell you that, you know, when one door closes, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala opens a window or another door, like believe it and things come out, you will never anticipate where it will come from. So I think yeah. that was the lesson for me to just have complete and total trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and in his wisdom and since then, I am a completely changed person, <laughs> and I yeah, it's 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 definitely helped, um, you know, solidify that iman, and I pray that inshallah it never ever, ever wavers, <laughs> um, but but alhamdulillah, and as I was saying, like even this year, I had something happen, and which could be scary, but I thought, you know what, Allah's done it before; He'll do it again. <laughs> we'll figure this out. <laughs> And alhamdulillah. That is so mm. true. Yeah, alhamdulillah. That that notion of tawakkul is so important and it truly changed the way you go with your life once you decide that, yeah, I shouldn't fear anything because first of all, this life is worth nothing to Allah so I don't know why it should be so important mm. to me. And then he has it all figured out so I just have to trust, trust him. He chose me to be Muslim, alhamdulillah. So I, I don't have to to worry so much and it's funny because i feel like financial problems do really make you realize that and i've been in in similar situations where i was like i don't know how i'm going to do it and then i'm like you know what i'm just going to trust allah and then subhanallah one week or two after the solution came out i was like he he really always has my back but one thing that personally really made me realize how important it was to have full trust in him was when my dad got sick and I remember I until his last breath I was like Allah is capable of everything and old me who like loves her parents deeply and is very close to them has always thought 
if one of my parents die, I'm not sure how I'm going mm-hmm. to deal with this. Like, I'm not an anxious person, but this, I'm not sure how I'm going to go through it. Through it. And then, you know, the more positive I, I was, even in the worst moments, the more I started to think, what if my dad dies and then I just get so mad at Allah? And subhanAllah, that didn't happen because I had so much, so much trust in him throughout the whole thing. When my dad finally like passed mm-hmm. away, I I was like, you know what? Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. Like everything went so smoothly. He didn't suffer. He he looked beautiful and he smelled good. And alhamdulillah, at least this is all over. And I never had this thing of like resentment or like being angry for Allah taking my dad away at now like you know I I was the kind of girl my dad when he heard that he had cancer he was like the first thing he asked his doctor was am I going to see my daughters getting married Mm -hmm. you know and when he passed away and I always thought yeah my like dad will be here for my for my wedding and everything it completely changed my perception of everything. It was like, first of all, I don't even know if I'm going to get married one day. Inshallah, I'm making this dua from the bottom of, my, of, bottom of mm-hmm. my heart. But I don't know. And if not, it's okay because Allah knows what is good for me. And subhanAllah, same for this. Like, I never thought, like, if I met the Asya of five years ago and I would t- tell her, your dad is going to get sick and you're going to lose him. I thought, I would have thought, I'm not going to be able to get through Mm. this. But because I had this trust in Allah that everything is going to be fine and he knows what is best for us, even in in those hardships, because as you said, with hardships comes ease, then everything is so much easier and life goes just so much more smoothly. SubhanAllah. SubhanAllah. It's... uh... Alhamdulillah. 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 Uh, how many times have we said Alhamdulillah in this podcast? <laughs> right? <laughs> and by the way, that's something that non-Muslims also pay attention to. They're like, why do you guys always use the, all these words? It's like, it's, again, because every aspect of life is something to be, you know, thank, thankful for, right? And we don't realize it, but, you know, it, it always amuses me how the West is always you know, talking about the latest in, the, in meditation and mantras and, you know, all of these things. It's like, it's built in, right? Like, it's we just, that's that's how it is every day. For, uh, we say, alhamdulillah, we say, we are, we practice gratitude, yes. technically, at least 17 times a day, at least, right? That's not even including the alhamdulillahs you throw in here and there. That's just from the, the rakah and your salah, Right? So, like, don't be coming to us with, like, this gratitude. Like, we got it. You know, we about that. <laughs> this is so true. I, oh, I had this conversation with uh, with someone not too long ago, and we were like, uh, we understand how personal development books and coaches and everything have earned so much popularity. Because with the chaos that we're facing in this world, not only about what is currently going on in Palestine, but just generally speaking from all the natural Mm. disasters, climate change, everything that is going on, uh, it's just a lot mentally. And even just society, we're exposed to so much weird things like with AI, with just uh, fake news going everywhere. It's a lot. And I understand that people are trying to find a sense of purpose and meaning in their lives right Mm. and it's always funny how when I 
read about personal development and everything, I'm like, this was written in the Quran in the most beautiful ways, like thousands of years ago. What are you like? It's just it, it's so funny, subhanAllah, how they they think they came up with something great when this was just no. all given to us by Allah. I, I like thinking about like you know how some people talk about manifesting and you know if you if you think it and believe it but here's the thing and so, anybody out there who wants to correct me please but you know in 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 the Quran it says you know I am as my slave sees me right so if you think of Allah as abundant then he will be abundant and if you yes. think that Allah is astaghfirullah like withholding then he will withhold right so like I mean same idea right I mean like if you if you believe in in Allah's yeah. goodness and that He does intend goodness for you, then you will see goodness, right? So um, it we 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 have these concepts embedded in our in our faith, but maybe in different terms or in different ways. And for us, obviously, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala is always at the center of everything, right? Whereas people feel it's the universe, right? But yeah. I mean, Allah is above. Yes. Allah, so. Um, so I always just find it amusing how, yeah. uh, you know, especially like, you know, as entrepreneurs, you always hear about like their routines and they wake up so early. It's like, yeah, we wake up for Fajr. I mean, that, that's, that's ingrained in the system. Like, it's part <laughs> of it. So, <laughs> alhamdulillah. <laughs> yeah, subhanAllah. SubhanAllah. And that's something that I hope will come up with, like will come up with the podcast. But also I think with, hopefully, I, I hope I have been doing this well for the past three years and a half, but I've tried to show through the page as well is that through every areas of your life, whether it be from a mental health perspective or a body health perspective, absolutely everything, the approach mm -hmm. of Islam is so holistic that it's just when you start to really deeply connect and educate yourself about Islam, then you will never need to look at personal development books and the ma ma those manifestation theories ever again. Because, well, Allah is sufficient to us, honestly. And when you really strengthen that bond to him, you realize that, okay, I don't need men, especially <laughs> white men, to tell me how a good what a good life looks like and what a productive life looks like etc cetera, etc cetera, where when this message was given to me in the Quran mm -hmm. definitely and mind you it's not I, I i want to clarify that it's not that we could just take it as it is like I, this is obviously yes, after obviously. lectures and people explaining it and then that's how yes. you come to these conclusions so it may not necessarily jump out at you if you're just reading off on your own <laughs> But yes. after you've heard it and then you've seen it from different perspectives, you come to these conclusions, right? Um, you know, there's always space for 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 self-improvement and self-development. But the beautiful thing is that it is embedded in the system, right? Um, and yeah. if, you, if yeah. and if you go to people of knowledge, they can help you see it from that perspective. So the difference is, you know, we don't need, as you said, some uh, white uh, Westerner uh, man telling us that oh you should you know the the perfect morning routine right um for success <laughs> like we're good thank you <laughs> yeah yeah and the one thing that i that that was thinking about is that um i think there was a point in my life alhamdulillah i've always practiced islam and felt close to my faith but objectively speaking 
I've been closer to my faith than ever since starting the page and dedicating my whole time to mm. Islam, alhamdulillah. Uh, but I remember when I was younger, or like my in my early 20s, I, I loved my religion, but I would feel kind of envious about converts. I was like, they 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 don't know what it's like to learn islam culturally you know they they make mm -hmm. that decision and they they search and they educated themselves and one thing that we often see in muslim cultures is that you know people don't even know why they do they fast during ramadan or they don't even know why they have to pray you know and that's why it's so important indeed to 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 remember that if we say, oh yeah, you realize all the benefits of Islam, it it does come from a lot of education. The Quran itself is some message or super clear, and you they speak to your heart, uh, to your heart instantly. And others are a little bit more complicated, and you do need to read the tafsir or to to hear or listen to scholars explaining what is going on and what what it means. And that's why going for, to khutbas, for example, is a great way to build a deeper connection to the Qur'an. But yeah, obviously education is so important. And I think that is something that converts are very lucky to have. It's like a ni'mah in a way, you know. Of course, mm -hmm. you know, I feel like some people, Blank they, slate too. they're like, exactly like some people like yeah you're so lucky you got to experience like your your all your the sins that we cannot cannot make and then you get a clear state you know it's obviously Allah Allah knows best and guided them <laughs> alhamdulillah but you know it's always funny to think about it that way but yeah the one thing that always that I I never was envious of the sins but I was envious of that like research aspect and like you know that crave of learning more But mm -hmm. subhanAllah, that I think that also can happen when you were Muslim your whole life and then suddenly you you like, you know, there's like a trigger and you're like, I the more you the more you learn, the more you won't learn. And the more you mm -hmm. know, and the more you the yeah, it's just subhanAllah, it's like a virtuous circle, you know, like snowball effect. Subhanallah. It's it's interesting because I I mean that was my husband, right? So my husband was a born Muslim, but like Muslim light, let's put it that way, right? And so, had it, <laughs> Allahu alam, but like, had it not be, been for me poking and attacking and like being so rude, <laughs> I don't like, he, like, I don't think he would have delved in deeper into his faith as much as he did, right? Because for him, you know, these things were given, but did he really understand exactly everything and why? No. So, having someone like confront him, helped him in his journey. So we ended up like growing together in our faith in that respect, because um, like I said, while he was born and raised and I'm just getting started, uh, it, it was really wonderful to like both sort of explore and like learn about the deen together in that, uh, in that respect. Alhamdulillah, I'm, how can I put this? I'm grateful for the perspectives that I have and I'm grateful that I've been on the other side and I'm able to understand what it's like for yeah. people on the outside looking in. So um, we do these things where um, we, we meet with students who come from the West and then they come here to learn more about the culture and we happen to be their Muslim experience. Um, and I always preface before I start, it's like, listen, no question is off the table. 
whatever you ask or are thinking about, I've asked worse. So don't worry about offending us. Okay. <laughs> We've heard it all, like all. So please, family, be at ease. Ahlan wa sahlan. Right? So welcome, welcome. <laughs> wrap up this episode that I love how we said maybe we can try to not be that talkative but I mean we (laughs) no surprise here Uh, and also you know the same honestly the same thing happened with the other episodes it's just that when we talk about Islam it's just you could spend the whole day talking about it there's just so much things to say so I could keep going if you wanted to (laughs) Uh, but let's wrap up the episode with some mindful advice so If you have to do it all over again, what would you do different differently if there's anything you would do differently? Honestly, I'm not sure if I would have done anything really differently other than just have more faith and trust that things will be okay. Um, I'm I'm happy that I was never pressured into, you know, into like ticking off so many boxes when I first started, right? Um, because I was able to enter the faith willingly and convinced at every point uh, of what it was that I was getting into. So um, if I had any advice for others, I would say, don't feel like you need to be pressured into doing everything all at once. Because I feel like when you do that, it becomes too much and it might actually make you resent the faith and run away, which we've seen happen before. Some people become like super zealous uh, about the Dean and then, you know, the, the, smallest inconvenience happens and then it all falls apart so give yourself grace and yeah. take your time if you need to yeah i think one I, i i mentioned before but personally when converts reach out to me the first thing they mention is always their family and we address this and we mm-hmm. like i can i've heard stories again especially considering i live in france so where islam is a, a very complicated mm-hmm. topic Uh, I've heard stories of public enemy number one. <laughs> I've heard stories of of people going through very very difficult situations once that they decided to embrace Islam. Um, one thing, if I remember correctly, you 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 will correct me if I'm wrong, but um, the one thing is that you don't know who you will inspire with your decision, and I think your mm-hmm. brother decided to get interested in yeah. Islam. It, did he convert? So, I mean, again, it happened just on his own and via conversations about life and me expressing my views now as a Muslim. And he just thought that that was so beautiful. And then, and while I think he was like teetering on it, uh, it entered his heart. So I was, it was, it was such a pleasant surprise. Like, I, th- I think it was last year when he told me like, like he'd be it, like, he started with the fasting again, because that's just, it's easier to not do something. Right. <laughs> so, um, but what was wonderful is when he told me that, like he picked up the Quran and he started reading like that. That's, yeah, that's, that's very significant. And he started trying to learn how to pray. So for me, that was so beautiful. And I think you, re- you truly don't know, um, how Allah will inspire through you and in more ways than one right um just having overall good character you know is is the biggest I think uh, dawah that we can ever do for anyone right and which is why um 
we'll leave this for another day, but like online, <laughs> it's, uh, people forget that, you know, their online personas should be the same as their face-to-face one, right? So, um, you know, you mentioned something at the beginning when you said like, uh, as an Arab that wasn't Muslim, I, I had like Muslims were not really easy on me and were not always respectful. And because mm-hmm. of that, I had a bad a bad image of Islam. I remember when we did our first call with Rachel, she said that the Ummah, especially online, it like is terrible and that it doesn't show the beauty of Islam. And I think this mm. is sad. I mean, I say it all the time, like, thank God I met someone who was reasonable because otherwise I would have just carried on with the same opinion. And I think part of the thing that upsets me so much being online is that my particular page, while is dedicated to women who wear hijab, my videos, as a result of you know being humorous, have amassed a following of people yeah. who aren't even Muslim, and they watch my page, and they read through those comments. And it upsets me. I think the part that upsets me the most from these comments, because I've gotten used to it. Like I'm, I'm used to all of the hate that I get. But it, it embarrasses yeah. me that I have non-Muslims reading those comments and seeing like these terrible ambassadors of Islam (laughs) in the page. And I've had people who say, see, this is why I don't like getting involved in religion. So imagine the disservice and the sayyat, like the bad deeds that you are collecting as a result of the way that you're carrying yourself and you don't even realize Yeah, it. and that's why as a Muslim, your practice is important. But if you don't have al-akhlaq, your good behavior, then it's mm-hmm. it's worth nothing. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala like, says it. What's the point exactly. of your faith? You, you have, you know, it's funny, like a lot of women who wear hijab online and get criticized one way or another, even if sometimes it's a very kind reminder, they always say, I don't have to to be the representative of my religion but you are even if even when you don't mm-hmm. wear hijab the moment you say you you like are proud yeah. of saying i'm i'm muslim then you need to have the behavior that goes with it you cannot speak badly you cannot treat people badly you need to think about those things there's a responsibility because we are the ummah are of the best men that was ever created Sometimes we forget about that. You know, we forget mm-hmm. who is a messenger. And when you, you learn about Prophet Muhammad وسلم, and you realize what mm-hmm. good of a man he was, you're like, so I, I am mm-hmm. part of his community and this is how I treat others. This doesn't align. This doesn't align with our beliefs and the even just like the fact that Allah is watching us right it's like why would you speak that Mm. way and not give a good example about Islam when you know that Allah is watching you and asks you to not do that but you know we we live in a weird world where I, I don't even have words honestly see I think because people people have this thing where they want a virtue signal right so they want to show that they are supposedly away, but then on the inside, yeah. that may not necessarily be the case. And online is where we see that because would you actually say that to someone's face in person, right? And if you wouldn't, then what makes you think that this is any better or any yeah. different, right? And um, for me, like 
the way, for example, some sisters will be condescending towards others who are not necessarily, you know, uh, doing the best hijab, right? Um, like, that's, like, yeah. you're not helping. I don't know in what world you think that yeah. those types of snarky and condescending comments will help that will, if anything, push them yeah. further. So if the day she decides to take that off, She's going to hold you. She's going to blame you. And on judgment day, she will call you up and be like, well, look how she's treating me. Yani. Why should I be motivated yeah, to keep doing this? That is so true. Right? So people really dismiss how much their, the, 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 their words and their actions are going to weigh yeah. on that day. Um, you know, smiling and a kind word is literally free. Um, and it's a and, sadaqa. And, and a gentle it's considered reminder. considered as a sadaqa. Yeah, it's a sadaqah. Exactly. So it's to your benefit. I mean, I had this one person yesterday, you know, uh, basically demand that I leave Islam if I don't follow Islam perfectly, right? So, you know, asking me to commit kufr. <laughs> so, and he thinks he's doing the deen of service, right? And I'm just thinking, like, does he realize that that's going to be held him, up against yeah. him? Had he not just said, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guide you, he would have just picked up his hasanat yeah. and been on his way because at the end of the day, nobody's responsible for the outcome, right? So, like, it, it, you are not a, a khalifa on people because <laughs> if that was the case, you know, like, that would have been during the time oh, of the Prophet, Your responsibility is to lead by example and give advice where it's fitting and how the people respond to it is none of your business. Exactly. You've done your job. Right. Um, and then, you know, continue to remind. We're not saying you say it once and then that's it. But again, you have to be mindful of how and when and why you're saying what you're saying. Because if your intention is to feel superior, well, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows that. And that's yeah. going to be between you and Him. So may Allah subhanahu I mean, wa ta'ala guide us all. And forgive us for and our shortcomings. We're not perfect. I know I certainly no am one not is. perfect. Um, and I pray that, you know, that Allah accepts our intentions um, and guide us I mean, to that. Which I mean, is I think, you know, if right now someone mm -hmm. is is listening, thinking, oh, I've been converting about Islam and uh, uh, I still have doubts, hopefully, inshallah, that we answered your questions. If you converted and still you know, struggle with certain aspects. I hope you got some answers as well. One thing that I want to say is that, um, again, you don't know who you will inspire. And it's not because you recently discovered Islam that you cannot inspire non-Muslims, but also Muslim people. And personally, actually, the, the one, the person that, like, made me want and made me certain about wanting to wear hijab is a convert. And I've been exposed to hijab my whole life. My my aunts in Algeria, they wear hijab. My grandma wear his, wears, wears hijab. I never thought about it. When I was 20, 21, 25, I was just like, yeah, I'm going to wear hijab when I'm old. And then, subhanAllah, I, I watched that one video of a convert wearing a hijab. The first second, I was like, wait, she is a convert and she wears hijab. I've been Muslim my mm -hmm. whole life. And I don't wear it. And that was the first thing. You know, that's like positive competition. And that's healthy competition in Islam. That's good. It's like mm. my sister yeah. is doing something great, mashallah. And I want to do it as well. And then it took me three years before mm -hmm. making the decision. 
And the one thing that really made me want to take that decision was then my sister deciding to wear it randomly. One day she was just like, you know what? I'm going to wear hijab. And I was like, wait, I've been thinking about this for three years and I haven't started wearing it yet. And she's like <laughs> younger than me. And she made the decision. And alhamdulillah, now we, mm-hmm. we even my mom now wears it, alhamdulillah. So it had like that Mashallah. super positive effect. And all started with like that convert who was wearing hijab and talking about it beautifully. So that's the first thing. Like just know that mm-hmm. the moment you decide to join the ummah, whether you're a convert or not, you're just equal to everyone, to yeah, to everyone, to the eyes of Allah. Like it's not because you're a convert that you are worth less than someone who has been Muslim their whole life, you know. And this is something, as you were saying, sometimes Muslims talk to each other in a way that they feel superior, and it's not just towards converts. They do mm-hmm. that even with other Muslims. That is something to like. Yeah try to fight as much as possible and not fall into because God knows what is in our hearts and this is what matters the most. But really just like have this um, this reassurance that Allah is has chosen you to be Muslim and that it doesn't matter where you're from in the world, like what was your journey, The what matters the most is that you made the decision, Alhamdulillah, you're Muslim now, you're going to become Muslim. And from now, your life should be like an like completely new. It's it's just subhanAllah, sometimes mm-hmm. I think about Islam and I'm like, that is literally the best thing ever. I don't know what I would do if I wasn't Muslim. I don't know how you did it before being Muslim. <laughs> I mean, again, I I the God consciousness was always there. But I think now I just had like a more solid system. And a better way to view the world and to explain the stuff that I struggled with. So when you see disaster, you see calamity, you see pain in the world. Um, without Islam, it's very difficult to make sense of that. Yeah. Um, and Islam just, I, I, you know, I was having this discussion with my mother, where because she was also impressed by like how many people were picking up Qurans and trying to learn about Islam. I was telling her like. Allah, but even if you take Allah out of the equation, okay, the coping mechanisms in the faith, okay, is something to be odd, right? Because in this world, in this world where we see so much injustice happening, like the, those are those are mechanisms that help keep you sane, that help you, you know, um, keep going, right? So. I mean, I guess it's not fair to say to take a lot of the equation because we do trust, but like this idea of a hereafter and the idea of, you know, like some ultimate justice that will be served um, is very reassuring, right? So if if you follow it for no other reason, at least for your own mental well-being, right? Um, and and that's and that's the beauty of it, is that it 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 compensates for all of that which you don't know. Or that you can't make sense. Yeah, of. that is that is beautifully said, and yeah, I I think it was it's one of my recent posts, but I I wrote that Islam is the only thing you have left when everything falls apart, and we have an actual mm. representation of that right now. Um, I know, like when again when my dad passed away, I was just like, thank God, 
I am Muslim. Because facing death, mm-hmm. when you see someone die in front of your eyes, it's just, it, you're naturally going to think about all of this, right? You, you're like, death and mm-hmm. what happens afterwards is such a, a complicated thing to fathom only because no one no we don't have someone that died then came back and said yeah this is how it is when you die you know this is the only thing that no one knows Mm -hmm. how it is afterwards except when you have a religion that tells you this is what is going to happen afterwards and this is how you should live your life so the after one Mm -hmm. the afterlife is the best possible and yeah i I, Mm -hmm. i completely agree with what you said it's really just like taking that realization and embracing it and and again being grateful for it i I think we it came across pretty clearly in this episode that we're just very 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 grateful and that gratitude is just super important that's a personal development lesson for you all um there you go in a nutshell (laughs) (laughs) uh but thank you thank you so much alisar for this wonderful conversation um Thank you so much, Asia, for having me. I mean, it's always a pleasure sitting with you and and catching up. And I'm I'm so grateful that uh, that Allah Subhanahu wa Taala has put you in my path. Likewise, and, and I'm and I'm grateful for the message that you're trying to bring. And I always love seeing your posts. They're always such a wonderful boost. Alhamdulillah. Um, and they and they come at the at the best of times. So people often say that. And, and, <laughs> but it, i think it's it's divine timing <laughs> exactly i think it's just honestly i i've said that before but when i write to post is it's often based on something i'm currently thinking and the way i see it is that if i feel this way other people feel this way i'm just a normal person so hopefully inshallah he can well, i think one thing that we need now more than ever is a sense of like solidarity and and sisterhood and just feel like oh i can relate to that person maybe we don't have the same exact life or the same path and experiences but there's this thing that we have in our hearts and that we all connect to each other and Mm -hmm. i remember talking to a sister and she said we were having this conversation about family and she said, family is, is large. You know, you you think about family as your parents, your sisters and everything, but family is also the ummah because when you think about it, we call each other brothers and sisters. And this is something that we need to work on and we need to maintain. And I hope through what I do with the page and in, in the podcast that it, um, it allows to strengthen that bond that we have between each other inshallah 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 so big thank you so much uh may allah bless ruq with so much baraka you've been doing such an amazing oh. job <laughs> i i love your page as well thank you're you you're so funny honestly i love how you respond to those people that sometimes say really crazy things uh so may allah subhanahu wa ta'ala really bless you your little family and and your business if you have any question, you can send us a DM on Instagram. Do you read your DMs? I do. I mean, I try. So okay, it gets overwhelming sometimes, but I, I know when I can. <laughs> so you can always try to reach out to us. And yeah, thank you so much for watching. And we'll catch up in the next one, inshallah. Assalamu alaikum. Bye.
ستعود جميلة تلك الأيام نملوها حبا عطفا وأمان وتعود الأرض لحالها لجمالها